you would please turn your Bibles to the book of Micah, book of Micah chapter 5. Because this is God's holy word and he is holy and his word is holy, let's stand as we give honor to our Lord as we read his word. Micah chapter 5 starting at verse 1. Now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. They have laid siege against us. With a rod, they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His going forths are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain, because at that time he will be great, to the ends of the earth, this one will be our peace. Let's pray together. Thank you, our glorious Lord, that you have shown unto us even the Prince of Peace, Jesus our Lord. Help us to receive this passage concerning his coming into the world. Help us to rejoice with all the saints in your wonderful work of salvation wrought by sending your only begotten Son. Help us in this and help us to receive and believe this, your Holy Scripture, for we ask it in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. I, I do love the Westminster Confession of Faith. But as a Roman Catholic who grew up and didn't really understand a lot of the authority of Scripture, and I, I struggled with how does the Bible fit with what science says? Can I trust the Bible because it doesn't seem to fit with what evolution and other theories say? What brought me to a greater assurance of salvation was seeing the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies come in such a vivid and wonderful fashion in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The uh, Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 1, section 5, says this, that there are arguments whereby Scripture doth abundantly evidence itself to be the Word of God. So we don't look to apologists to let the Bible evidence itself as the Word of God. We look at how the Word itself evidences itself to be God's Word. And some of these self-authentication-type proofs include these things. The, heavenly, the heavenliness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, and here's a part for me that was special, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, the full discovery it makes 
of the only way of man's salvation, the many other incomparable excellencies, and the entire perfection thereof. These are all things we find in the Bible that evidence itself to be the Word of God. But this full discovery it makes, the Bible makes, of man's only way of salvation is through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah that was promised long ago to our first parents but then came in the fullness of time. And this prophecy also foretells of the coming of Jesus Christ in, to, in today's text. And uh, before we go there, we want to look a little bit of why this prophecy was written in the first place. Um, this prophecy as a whole was not one of good news, even though here it contains the good news of the gospel. At the beginning of this prophecy in chapter 1, look there, um, chapter 1, um, in the context of what this prophet, prophet Micah is giving. Verse 3 and following, the Lord says this, Behold, the Lord is coming forth from his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth, the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will be split like wax before the fire, like wax poured down a steep place. All this is for the rebellion of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? For I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the open country, planting places for a vineyard. I will pour her stones down into the valley and will lay bare her foundations. All of her idols will be smashed and all her earrings will be burned, or all her earnings will be burned with fire and all her images I will make desolate. For she collected them from a harlot's earnings and to the earnings of a harlot, they will return. Okay, so this, this prophecy is written as a judgment, not just for the house of Israel, but also for the house of Judah. The northern and the southern kingdoms are both foretold to have destruction, according to this passage. Uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 9 and following um, mentions uh, them being in agony like childbirth, and the reason they'll be in agony like childbirth is that they will be under siege. And later on, it says even here in verse 10 that they will go to Babylon. God's foretelling that they will go into captivity into Babylon for their wickedness and for their sin. But they are promised that they would be rescued. They, they would, it says there, uh, there you will be rescued, for there the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. He's also foretelling that he's going to bring them back out of captivity, which did happen in history as well. But this chapter of 5 opens with a siege. It mentions them being under siege. Look at verse 1 again. Muster yourselves in troops, daughters of troops, and they, for they have laid siege against us. With a rod, they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. This is, you could say, talking about them being besieged by their enemies. And the rod that's going to discipline is the very rod of the Lord because of their wickedness and their disobedience. Um, 
If you think back, you look back at, from chapter 1, it mentions them having these idols, and God's going to smash these idols that they have. They didn't want to put away their own idols. Remember the, the kingdom of the north, Israel, still had the two golden calves set up so that people would not have to go to Jerusalem to worship. They could worship the golden calves in place of the God of Israel. But God said, well, you're not going to put away these idols. Well, I'm going to bring in foreign powers and you're going to be besieged and then these idols are going to get smashed. But here, in light of this terrible judgment coming upon the people, he gives them the hope of a glorious gospel in chapter 5. The hope of the birth of a promised Messiah. As we look at today's text, I want us to focus that we should embrace God's salvation through the eternal ruler of Israel. Embrace God's salvation through the eternal ruler of Israel. And we'll see this in two main points. The Messiah's birth and the Messiah's ministry. So let's look at this first main point, the Messiah's birth. Verse 2. As for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His going forths are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Now, the place here, Bethlehem, or mentioned here, Bethlehem Ephrathah, um, it was insignificant in compared uh, comparison to a place such as uh, you know Jerusalem. You think maybe if Messiah was going to be born, he'd be born in a significant place like Jerusalem. But instead, he's foretold to be born in this little, very small town known as Bethlehem. It was too little to be named among the clans of Judah, yet it's significant in history according to various events in the Old Testament. Um, you might have wondered, what in the world is this name Ephrathah? Ephrathah. What is that? Um, 1 Samuel 17 has that there in your outline. that uh, David was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem in, Ju in Judah, whose name was Jesse. So the original name of the place, Bethlehem, was actually Ephrath. And a person coming from Ephrath would have been an Ephrathite. And you could say here, when it mentions the name Bethlehem Ephrathah, it, it's actually giving, you could say, the complete old and new name together in a compound name. The old name and the new name together. This is the same town, again, where David grew up as a boy. This was his hometown. And this is the same place where Samuel came in and uh, anointed David to be king. David looked forward to the Messiah yet to come as we look back to the Messiah that had already come. This was the place also where David's greater son, Jesus Christ the Lord, the Messiah, as we're told here, would be born. In verse 2, God, through Micah, foretold from you, one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. Uh, it says in the text that this ruler in Israel would be eternal. 
The end of verse 2 says, His going forths are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Now, when the baby Jesus was born, he didn't begin to exist. He existed already as the eternal, holy Son of God in perfect communion and fellowship with the Father. But he left the glories of heaven. He left the worship of angels to come down and dwell among us, to veil his glory by taking upon himself flesh in the likeness of men, yet without sin. His going forths are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Uh, this prophecy fits very well with what Jesus himself prayed to the Father. You remember in that wonderful, blessed, high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus said this, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. How did Jesus, who is only in his 30s, have glory and fellowship with the Father before the world was created? Because his going forths are from long ago, from eternity. He's always existed. He's the eternal Son of God who took on flesh. It says in our text that this promised Messiah was to be born in fulfillment of something that was given to our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the garden long, long ago. In Genesis 3.15, God promised this as he told Satan, I will put enmity, that's a state of being an enemy, between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He, that is the Messiah coming, shall bruise you on the head. Some translations say crush you on the head. And you shall bruise him on the heel. It was absolutely necessary for this eternal one, the eternal Son of God, to take on flesh, to be the second Adam wherein the first Adam failed. He had to be our second representative wherein our first, our first representative failed. He had to be eternal and infinite in order to bear the sins of a multitude which no man could number. And that's why he had to be the infinite and holy Son of God, both God and man. Let's look next at Messiah's ministry. I touched a little bit on it before, but let's look at Messiah's ministry in uh, verses 4 and following. Verse 4. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. Here we find that Messiah is promised to be a shepherd. Um, in Ezekiel 34, God rebuked the shepherds of Israel because they did not feed the sheep. They were lousy shepherds. They didn't feed the sheep. They didn't clothe the sheep. They didn't tend after the sick of the sheep. So in that passage, Ezekiel 34, God promised, I will come and shepherd them. I will come and shepherd my sheep. God himself promised. And God fulfilled that in the Son of God, the eternal Son of God coming as the great shepherd 
and to shepherd his sheep. That fits with John 10. You remember John 10? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for my sheep. He is that good shepherd promised not only in Micah 5, but in Ezekiel 34. It says in verse 4 that, according to Micah, that the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord that this one should minister. And that, uh, I want us to, for that, I want us to look at John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Verse 17 and following. Jesus said this. He's talking to some of the um, unbelieving Jews, but he says, He answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. He did that because he was, he, him and the father are one. Go, verse 19. Therefore Jesus answered and, and was saying to them, Truly, truly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. It is out of eternal death and judgment into life couple of things to notice when Micah says that this one coming, this Messiah coming, will have the strength of the Lord and in the, he'll serve in the majesty of the name of the Lord. This text in chapter 5 of John talks about the magnificent ways that he speaks and does the works of the Father. But also given to the Son is the role of judging. He will judge the living and the dead. If, if there, that is one of the chief places where we see that Jesus Christ is given the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord as both Savior and Judge. Getting back to Micah chapter 5, verse 4 says this, He will be great to the ends of the earth. This Messiah, shepherd, ministering in the strength of the Lord will be great to the ends of the earth. This gospel started off with Jesus and 12 apostles. And now the gospel is believed upon and pretty much 
the, the vast majority of the regions of the world. Now, it doesn't mean that every one of the, the Gentiles of every tongue, uh, nation, tribe, and tongue have been saved that God has intended. The fullness of the Gentiles has not yet come in. That's why we still have the purpose of sending foreign missionaries. But we have even seen in our time, in our day, the spread of the gospel that Jesus Christ, the name of Christ, is praised and is great throughout the whole earth. God has brought that to pass in history. Um, Romans eleven twenty five says that a partial hardening has happened to, to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. So the people who still hold to the Old Testament religion of Israel are still hardened, but it's until God brings in that full number that he intends of the Gentiles. And when that full number is brought in, even that blindness, we're told, will be removed from Israel. That even the people who have rejected him so long that they themselves will receive Jesus Christ as Messiah. Micah 5, 5 says, This one will be our peace. Jesus calls, is called the Prince of Peace, the coming Messiah, mentioned in Isaiah 9-6. The coming Messiah is called the Prince of Peace. Brothers and sisters, this Jesus can give you peace in such a way not as the world gives. The world's peace is fleeting. The peace that money or the peace that the world may give you or your friends in the world may give you are all shifting sand. When rain and wind come, that sand can be washed away. You need a steadfast, sure peace founded upon God's holy and eternal word built upon the foundation of the prophets and the apostles with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. Only Christ can reconcile you to the Father and give you peace with God. If you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, and you ask Him to forgive you of your sins and to give you peace with the Father, you will be forgiven of your sins, and you will be reconciled to the Father, and you will no longer have a state of enmity or being an animosity with God, but you'll have reconciliation and peace with God if you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if you build your foundation on that rock, that bed truth of what Christ has revealed to you in, your, in the Gospels, when storms come, when the trials of life come, your house shall stand because it's built upon the rock. And that rock is Christ, our Lord, and His Holy Word. Ask God to give you that reconciling peace as we celebrate the birth and the life of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Remember in today's text, the Messiah's birth was promised long ago. And the fact that this is fulfilled in such a vivid fashion, that He was even foretold in Isaiah 7 that He would be born of a virgin, 
has all come to pass throughout history, testifying that this truly is God's holy word that can be trusted. It testifies of the only way of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that ministry of Christ will be great throughout all the earth. Jesus Christ ministered in the power and the strength of the Lord. And he can be your help in time of need. Let's seek our Lord as we pray. We thank you, O Father, that you have given us your Son, even Jesus Christ our Lord, to suffer and die for sinners such as us. We thank you that you have brought your Son into the world to spare us 